Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Brian Vigorated, Hawthorne, Carlton and Collingwood off to a dream start under new direction as four final sides from last season slumped to zero and two. Want to play tag? What's become of the defensive stopper? Alarm bells, who's under the pump? Are the Swans opening a premiership window? And what about Buddy Mania? There's plenty to dissect on the Al and Lingy show. Cameron Ling, the three-time premiership is with me, Alistair Nicholson. Lingy, a lot of excitement, a lot to discuss. Oh, so much to discuss, Al. It's great to be with you again. It has been all about Buddy Franklin. Why not? What a moment in history that was. Just... Incredible. From one of the greatest players to ever play the game and from one of the most exciting players to ever play the game. It was brilliant to watch. Unfortunately, it was against my cats, Al, which I didn't love. But once I knew that the game was done and dusted, it was just all buddy watch and and it was superb. And fortunately, we got some great footy for the rest of the round as well and some big, big Melbourne teams in great form starting the year off beautifully. We've got so much to talk about and I know we've got a man joining us, Al, who's going to love talking about his mob up north, the, uh, the mighty Brisbane Lions. It's great to have Chris Johnson with us. Jono, fantastic to have you with us, mate. And I'm sure you loved Buddy Mania as much as everyone else. No, thanks, guys. Uh, good to be part of the uh, Al and Lingy show. That's when you know you've made it. So um, it's good to be involved <laughs> in it, boys. Uh, I've heard it going around. I was a bit disappointed I wasn't invited to the first show. But that's okay. We'll just roll with it tonight. But, yeah, certainly you've got to look at the buddy show and uh unbelievable moments on friday night uh you know even uh on the ground the the overhead shot that you've seen uh was just unbelievable i was quite lucky enough um calling for the national indigenous radio service to call that play so you know i really enjoyed that moment i've watched buddy so much and uh as a young fella as he was coming through the ranks and bustling us up a little bit as well at the same time so it was actually a beautiful night and great for uh, football all around. Did you get swept up in the emotion of it, Chris? Um, not at that time, Al. Uh, not at the time. Uh, I was calling with uh, Barry Denner, who has been calling with the with the station for over 27 years. And, and he, he was trying to give it to me every time it went down and trying to hand it back over to me as we'll call in the game. And, um, and he kept saying to me, like, you'll call it, you'll call it. I said, all right, no worries. But at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't overawed and, and wasn't really... Uh, understanding the moment and everything else is just sort of enjoying it more than anything else. And I think just over the last two days, I've, I've sort of started to pinch myself and, and just thought to myself, uh, you know, I, I call Buddy's Thousandth Goal um, on, on, on an Indigenous radio broadcast that goes right across Australia. It was just, yeah, quite amazing for personally myself. But, you know, I've got some, as you would, Lingy, uh, you'd have some football memorabilia uh, around the house. Um, I must say mine are only fo- uh, football, which is, uh, the Brisbane Lions or the Fitzroy Football Club, but I only have two bits of memorabilia that sit outside of the clubs that I represented. And that's a, a frame signed Buddy Guernsey and a frame signed Cyril Guernsey. So, uh, you know, I've watched him for a long time, but yeah, it's, it was it was unbelievable. It was, a, it was a fantastic. When he got his when he got his second, you thought, yeah, it's going to happen tonight. I was a little bit selfish thinking, 
well, can can he just wait until next week and we can all see it in person, um, <laughs> you know, down here in Melbourne? But uh, yeah, no, it was it was a beautiful night for everybody involved and especially his family as well. I'm just writing down a list here, Al, of what I need to do during the week. I've just got to send John O a signed Cameron Ling jersey. That'll uh, <laughs> number one on the list. But um, <laughs> you're right, John O. Almost from the first goal that Buddy kicked, when he's raised his arms to the crowd and just turning to them, was like, yeah, he's kicking it tonight, no matter what. He was loving it. It was pandemonium, though, wasn't it? You could see the fans building up. They had their legs hanging over the fence, getting ready to go. And it was obvious from that very moment as he went back to take the kick that there was a completely insufficient amount of security to stop the crush of people that was going to run onto the ground. But the imagery, it it felt poignant that the fans were descending on the ground as if football was alive and and kicking. Again, that's the feeling I had watching that enormous sea of people run onto the ground to celebrate with Buddy. It was overwhelming. But after about three or four minutes of it, I actually started to think a little more about the safety angle. And I know Mick Malthouse has spoken very strongly about this and condemned the AFL for not really providing the level of security that Buddy probably should have had. And he handled it so well the way he gave himself over to those people. He treated it like he was the star of a rock concert. But, gee, it would have been overbearing having all those cameras in his face and all those hats on the head. And and it went on for so long as well. Well, the thing that I could see from where we, we called it from uh, down here in Melbourne, we weren't able to get up there in Sydney. But the thing, the thing that really, uh, or a couple of things that stood out to me through that whole sort of um, build-up the last quarter, as you've seen the bottom tier, the level one, just started getting built up and built up at each quarter. The, the people from up top started making their way, way down. You couldn't see the aisles or anything like that. And that, that, was, that was, for me, that was amazing thinking it's going to happen. But then the other thing that, so many people were, were so close to Buddy, but they, they lived it through their phones. They didn't live it through their own eyes. They, yeah. they were watching their phones and, and looking at Buddy as well at the same time. So he was amazing. The way he gave himself, as you said, Al, back to those supporters. Um, you know, it was at, at one stage you sort of thought he was getting overwhelmed, but then he just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this. Wherever it takes me, I'm going to go with it. And then slowly, slowly he got put, taken off the ground and got towards the end. The one part I really enjoyed was when he got to his teammates and, and the, the joy of hugging everyone and actually getting back with the people that sort of probably helped him. And he said it in his interview with Richo that, you know, a lot of people have helped him to get to where he is today. He hasn't done it all himself. It needed to come out of the back line, through the midfield and all that type of stuff. But for me, it was just that that was probably one of the biggest um, sort of joys for me, him embracing his teammate and his coach even. And it has to be said... The moment needs to be captured. I'm sure you did a brilliant job on NIRS, John of capturing that moment. JB on seven, the way he delivered the line, the way he let the crowd take over and tell the story, that was first-class broadcasting. And if you look at it across the board, the way seven handled, I think, that that moment means that it, as much as a 1,000 goals will always live long in the memory, that, that will certainly add to, I think, the, the moment itself, the way it was handled. And then to have him in the change rooms afterwards during the game, speaking to Richo in that way, it was, it was just brilliant, I thought. So that's clearly the highlight of the round. It's probably the highlight of the season. It could be the highlight of the next few seasons. But what else caught your eye across the weekend, Cameron Link? Well, the big one as we moved on from Buddy, which if, you're right, will be the highlight of the entire round and possibly the year, was the, oh, do I, do I use it yet? The emergence, the, the, the arrival of the big 
big Melbourne clubs. And I'm talking about Carlton, number one, Al. Your crew, they were brilliant again in going two and zero. But also Collingwood, who just have just quietly... It's unbelievable to think that Collingwood can go about anything quietly. But given how well Carlton are going, under Craig McRae have just chipped away at those two wins to start the year off. And they're playing a different brand of football. It's an exciting... It's a quick brand of footy and it's a really efficient brand of footy. I looked at the stats and Adelaide had four out of the top five possession winners, but they didn't even look like really being, you know, Collingwood just go bang and it's really fast, really efficient um, but the Blues, the big powerhouses of uh, the the former VFL are uh, up and about at the moment. There's a lot of smiles on Carlton fans' faces, John. We haven't seen it for a long time. The Blues fans getting up and about. Well, as a as a, an ex Carlton supporter growing up as a young fellow, I'm loving it, Lingy. Uh, absolutely loving it. I I went down to Princess Park quite a bit with my mother and my grandmother and my auntie watching the Navy Blues, and and now uh, my ex skipper is coaching them. So I look, I I loved it, Lingy. Thursday night, I was lucky enough to be on the boundary at seven. Um, you know, I just loved the way that Carlton went about it. They were challenged at certain certain times by the Bulldogs, but they were able to stand up and. Um, there were times, probably about six minutes ago in that last quarter, where it was this, this just hush across the crowd and no one knew what was actually going to happen. And then Carlton made a couple of little uh, hiccups, uh, a couple of under, un, uh, you know, fundamental errors uh, from time to time. And it looked like they were going to be in all sorts of troubles and lose that game. We know the Bulldogs um, didn't, uh, didn't score too well in front of goal. But I think what the message, what I've seen, and, and obviously um, having, having a chat with Vossi leading into the game is that, he knew that they had the football skills. He knows that they've got that ability. It's just the ability for them to connect with each other. And I think the selflessness that they're doing at the moment on the ground, which, you know, you've been a part of many other teams as well, Lingy, that, that, that once you get that selflessness um, and, you, and you put that investment into you yourself, and the, the team gets rewarded for that. And that's what I've seen. I've seen a couple of contests from Matthew Kennedy uh, on the weekend that he just had to go. He wanted that ball more than anyone else. And I reckon his players around him just fed off that. And there was uh, obviously the two midfielders at the same time. They were outstanding. Uh, I think it was 69 possessions between them in uh, in Cripper uh, uh, and uh, Welshy there. So, you know, I like the Blue Boys. And so especially what Fly's done as well. Obviously, he's only had them for a small time, um, like Vossi. But uh, I think what I think what it comes back to is he's playing for each other and being honest to each other. And I think that's what both of those teams are doing at the minute. Yeah, I like what Collingwood's done, Lingy, with Craig McRae surrounding him with some very experienced coaches. So you've got Justin Lepage and you've also got Brendan Bolton, who have coached in their own right at senior level. And, and we know that McRae is a beautiful connector of people. He's a, he's a great person. He forms terrific relationships and he's, he's ably supported by the other two that he's got. Both of those two, Voss and, and McRae, of course, Jono's teammates. And then you've got Sam Mitchell as well, who was under so much pressure, I think, coming into the season, but has literally hit the ground running. You mentioned those Adelaide stats. Port Adelaide on the weekend had the top four possession getters on the ground. Both 39 possessions, aim on 38, wine's 36 and butter's 29. If I give you those stats, you're thinking Port Adelaide's won the game against Hawthorne at the Adelaide Oval by six or seven goals. Add to that, they had 70 more uses of the ball, 24 more clearances, 19 more tackles as well. That is an amazing result for Hawthorne to win that game to also go to and zip to start the year. Oh, it really is. And, and it goes to show what happens when you put faith in young players and let them play and you've trained them up and you've taught them. And absolutely part of that is 
Clarkson's development, but Sam Mitchell now giving them opportunities. Um, is it too early for your segment, Al, with alarm bells? Because I want to get there with Port Adelaide. Yes, let's go, Lingy. Let's go there now. Those stats that you read off about Port Adelaide, there has got to be alarm bells going off with Kenny Hinckley and all of his coaches thinking, and we're a few players down injury-wise, big expectations on us as a club. We've gone out there and we've won a heap of the footy. We've looked magnificent when you read the stat sheet. But we have been destroyed by a team that most had, if not winning the wooden spoon, maybe finishing in the bottom two or three on the ladder. Right now, Port Adelaide at zero and two, they are in a world of hurt. And if you think you're going to go and get a kick and chase a kick and chase a possession and and just possession your way out of this and and turn yourself into good, they're kidding themselves. John, you you would have seen this so many times over the years that when you get a team just running around thinking, they're all smart enough players. I know how to get a kick and I know how to get it 25, 30 times, but do absolutely nothing with it. But that'll protect my spot in the team because you can't drop me. I've had 30 possessions. That is a horrible situation to be in as a club. Effectiveness versus just racking up numbers. The alarm bells are going off everywhere at Port Adelaide right now. I couldn't agree more, Lingy, uh, last week when I seen him against the Lions as well, is that there were a lot of uh, possessions that were, I, I wouldn't call them junk. They're probably more nothing possessions. They weren't in junk time, but they were just nothing possessions at that time uh, that I noticed last week. I think the biggest thing that Port Adelaide need to look at um, is their connection up forward line. There's no Charlie Dixon there at the moment. Uh, you know, Finn Layson's not firing on all cylinders at, as a new recruit at the same time. So I think they've got some issues around their midfield, and probably their defence connection with their forward line. I think that's where it all needs to be. All the energy needs to be. Yes, they've had injuries. Last week they had injuries. This week they had injuries again. You know, even the the injury around Dersma going off uh, in the early part as well uh, with the same injury that he copped the week before that uh, that Robinson was suspended for. So I think at the moment they need to come back to each other and look at that. Are you performing to keep your spot, as you're saying, Lee? And I've been a man around many of teams or many of individuals that are always just looking at each quarter. Oh, how many did I get here? How many stats did I get there? It's not about stats. It's about what you do with those stats. If you if you then go back to Surioli, like you'd rather Surioli to have 15 possessions and do something special with those 15 rather than him having 30. Well, Jono, and on that point, watch Richmond today. Mm. Like Richmond, have a, if you want to use the excuse of injuries, and yes, Port Adelaide are missing key players, you want to cop that excuse, Go and watch Richmond. The two best midfielders are out. Their defensive general in Dylan Grimes is out. And their leading goal kicker for the last umpteen years, Jack Rewald, is out. Plus, you're missing Lambert. Plus, you're missing Floston. You're playing against this talented team of the Giants. You know what they did? They impacted the contest. They played together as a unit. They worked extremely hard. And they get a win on the MCG, MCG when they're under man. Well, so don't... I can't cop the whole injury thing unless... We'll get to it, Al, I know. Unless it's West Coast and you've got 14 guys out because of COVID protocols, then, yep, that's fair enough. That's just shifted too far that way. But Port Adelaide can't play the injury card. Not when Richmond can deliver a performance like they did today and show that if you have a system and you have a committed bunch of players, you can still get the job done. Lingy, I was so impressed today as well with Richmond, what they produced um, at risk of going zero and two. Hadn't done it since 2012. And... GWS went into that game, yes, missing Hopper, yes, missing Toby Green, but with a lot of star talent out there, never beaten Richmond at the MCG. It felt like the type of day where they 
with their polish should be able to get that done. So I'll get your views in a moment on GWS. I know you were quite scathing during the broadcast, but John, I heard alarm bells for you. Is there a player, is there a club in the competition at the moment where the alarm bells are already ringing through two rounds? Yeah, and I have to, I'd have to look at Essendon Football Club at the moment. Um, you know, their uh, round one performance against uh, Geelong um, was very surprising. Uh, you would have thought they'd be a lot more competitive. Should they have won? Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. But, you know, I think coming off last year's season, I think we had, we were all looking that uh, that game at the MCG in round one was going to be a blockbuster. It was going to be a game that we're all going to keep our eyes on. And here comes Essendon. Uh, this is to announce himself into the competition. It didn't happen. And it was a it was a terrible loss for him. And then next the next week against uh, my team uh, in the Brisbane Lions, it's, uh, you know, there were times where they did look very, very good throughout the day, um, but there were times that they just looked very, very poor. Uh, they struggled with their connection between their defenders and their midfield. They struggled with the actual run and carry. They struggled with the pressure that Brisbane put on from time to time. And, you know, and then again, now I'm hearing today, and I don't know whether you boys might be able to clarify, that Zach Merritt down with an ankle um, as well. Yeah. So for me, it's got to be the Essendon Football Club and Zach Merritt at the moment because they've put so much faith and energy into Zach to be the leader of this football club. And if that's a six to eight to maybe 10 week injury uh, that he's got to go and get surgery, that's really going to hurt them for the next four to six weeks. So it'd have to be Essendon for me, Al, at the moment, really, really struggling that need to reassess uh, what what's happening with their group. The news out of the club's not good for Zach Merritt. Syndesmosis is the diagnosis for him. So that's extremely unfortunate. He's such a prime mover for the Bombers. And, um, that was obviously identified on the weekend. There was a real contrast the way Essendon and Brisbane went about it because the two dominant players on the ground in the first half, really, Lockie Neal for Brisbane and Zach Merritt for Essendon. Tom Berry goes to Zach Merritt in the second half, yet there's no physical pressure applied to Lockie Neal, who put on an absolute masterclass. 41 possessions, two goals for Brisbane. So after last week, we saw with Christian Pedraka, the Bulldogs giving him too much licence again. It's, it's brought that conversation around a role you used to play a lot, Cameron Ling, the defensive stopper. Where has that position gone in the game? The coaches tend to say that, well, we don't do it because it upsets the team balance, the team defence. But Please, Al. Gee whiz. Oh, but we back our system in. And, and let me say, I'm going to preface this by saying you cannot have a 100% total negative player. Just lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. I agree. It affects the system too much. You need the right player to be able to do it. So let's just, let's just park that for a second. Did we all watch Friday night's game apart from Buddy's moment? Callum Mills played one of the most superb midfield games you will witness as far as balance goes. He kept Paddy, Paddy Dangerfield, best on ground last week against the Bombers, to 13 possessions and zero influence. At the same time, he had 29 possessions and kicked a goal. They obliterated the Geelong midfield on the back of, yeah, a lot of other players, but Callum Mills' performance on Paddy Dangerfield. You can still get a midfielder who plays, let's call it a run-with role, to just blunt the opposition's best player. Could you imagine if you're Essendon, you could turn Lockie Neal's game into a 25-possession scrappy game instead of a 41-possession, two-goal, 12-clearance game? And then you can somehow be smart enough to join in the attacking side of it and end up with 22, 23, 24 possessions yourself. That has got to be a huge win, a huge tick for the way that your team goes about things. 
But Al, you're right, they go on and on, they bang on and on about, oh, no, it affects our system too much. If you've got a chance to shut Lockie Neal down or Christian Petrarca down or as Sydney did on Friday night, Patrick Dangerfield down, do it. Please do it. It can have such a massive influence on the outcome of the game. Yes, you need the right player. Yes, he can't be too negative and just total stopper. But get somebody who's got that perfect balance and it can still play a huge role in the game. Well, John, Essendon plays Melbourne this week on Friday night. So the opportunity is there to see if they can do something against Petrarca. But I guess the question is who in the Essendon lineup is capable of performing that, that role? And they don't have really an obvious candidate to do it, do they? They don't. Um, you know, the, the only one that you could probably think of, and, and I, I, by the way, I couldn't agree more with Ling. Uh, you, you need to, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to have a guy that's going to actually dominate and actually help their team to win without no, no hesitations, you've got to put some time and effort into it. Yes, you can be 90% you and 90% you, but you need to put time and effort into it. Look, the only one I'm sort of looking at within, um, within the Essendon group, and, uh, you know, we haven't seen him do it, is probably a McGraw or even a Cutler. I know Cutler can do a fair bit of running. Uh, I don't know whether he's good inside. Or I think he's better better outside. Um, I don't think they've got anyone at the moment to be able to go there. There's such a young group at the moment. Whether you have to go with a, a senior guy that's playing down back that knows how to play a defensive role and knows how to run off a, a, a little bit as well. It could be a Guilfi, um, you know, but the rest of the group, I think, a bit too young, a little bit too inexperienced to be able to do that. And whether you do it as a, as a collective and whether there's three or four guys that have a responsibility for them in each part of the ground. Um, otherwise, they're going to find themselves in a lot, a lot of trouble because it almost uh, looks like that uh, this could be another live kill that uh, Essendon going to be on the end of. Jono, when, when you're talking about that, and I, I reckon the tendency for some midfield players is they're a little bit above that playing that role. Um, no, I don't have to do that role. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the star. Callum Mills is a star at the Swans and a captain and a leader and everything that he is. He said, I can do this role and I can do it perfectly and I can do it and have a huge influence. So McGrath's a great suggestion. Okay, so Merritt's gone, he's out, he's injured. Um, Darcy Parrish is maybe just seaball, get ball, brilliant clearance player. Let him go to work at what he does well. But McGrath's got the physical capabilities and you say, hey, we're not asking you to play a negative role and and just take yourself completely out of the game. We're asking you to play a Callum Mills role from Friday night, and what a weapon that can be. Don't see it as a negative thing. See it as being able to have a monster influence on a game of footy. Sorry, Jono. I see see it massively like that, Lingy. You know, I think if you look over some of the great teams over the last decade or so, um, they have got somebody like that. Obviously, yourself with Geelong, but with us uh, at Brisbane, we had someone in the name of Sean Hart who could cover the ground and actually do a very similar role. He's not as big as you, Lingy, but um, but he was certainly a small guy and could run. And he was able to get the ball as well. And he was a good user of the ball as the same as you as well. So I think at some stage we need to look at and the competition needs to look at and each of the coaches need to start thinking about, we need to start coaching and training these guys to be one of these players because it doesn't just happen, Lingy. It just doesn't happen. You've You've got to coach a kid or you've got to coach somebody into it and that just adds another string to your bow. That's another opportunity that you might get a game and you might be named in that selected 22. And you were one of the best at it, Lingy, the way you evolved your game from being a stopper but then adding that attacking element to your game where you got more of the ball and stopped the opposition player. Then you added 
goal kicking to your game as well as you, you went along and became more experienced in that role. But if you were to talk to a McGrath, for example, if he was to be given the role on Petrarca, how do you stop Petrarca? What would, what would you do to try and stop him? <laughs> well, the first part of me is just a footy watcher says, oh, good luck. Wow. He's <laughs> he, he, borderline unstoppable the way he plays, his power and his body and everything like that. Then the competitive part of me takes over and goes, oh, this is no, the bit I, we like. Yeah, I could stop him. No worries at all. If you could take on Bossy or Blackie or um, Nathan Buckley or Hurt, you can, Adam Goods, you can stop him. Um, you, you can. Anyone can be. Provided your decision-making is spot on, when to go and attack yourself, when to stay and defend within. Your ability to spread and leave the contest offensively or defensively. Your contest work, and I'm talking about what is a two-metre radius work, just needs to be elite. And yes, you're erring on the side of defensive um, work in that contest more so than attacking because you're tracking him a little bit. But your, your communication with your other teammates has got to be... Sw- Every little facet of your game needs to be spot on to beat a player as good and in his prime as Petrarca. But yeah, he can be beaten. Anyone can be beaten. That's the, that's the beauty of sport. If you, if you commit yourself enough to a role, you've prepared yourself well enough, you've got the physical attributes, you've got the will to do it, then absolutely you can do it. There's no reason why Petrarca can have no influence next week. The trouble when you play in Melbourne is you cut him out and there's Clayton Oliver and all these other players running around as well. Hard to stop all of them. Yeah, it's very true. Um, we've got four of the finalists from last year who were zipping two through the opening two rounds, which is a bit of a surprise. Essendon is one of them. Port Adelaide's another one. GWS will come to, in a moment, beaten by Richmond by six goals today. And the Western Bulldogs, the grand finalists of last year, John Owen, and obviously have had a tough start against Melbourne. So that's a, a difficult match to start with. And then a resurgent Carlton as well. How alarmed would Bulldogs fans, or how alarmed should they be about where they're positioned at the moment? I don't think they should be alarmed. What I've seen of the Bulldogs uh, last round one and round two, they, they've, got, they've got the makeup to mix it with with, with, with the better teams in the competition. You know, there were some good signs uh, within uh, the Bulldogs uh, on the weekend. Uh, you know, we, we, we seen Jamari Hagen sort of, you know, play that role. I think he can continue playing that role within their forward line. Uh, they moved Liver back into the middle of the ground, popped up, kicked a couple of goals as well. So I think in round one, they probably were out of position a little bit, a couple of, couple of, couple of positions there. But I think moving forward, those positions will get more and more fulfilled within those players of the Bulldogs. I'm not concerned at all about them. I think they've got the right coaching. Uh, they've got the right philosophy. Uh, you know, I, I, I honestly thought that they were going to overrun and beat Carlton in the last couple of minutes of, uh, of Thursday night's game. But unfortunately, they didn't. They need to go back to their, you know, the, making sure that they kick the goals that they're supposed to kick. Uh, Norton and Dunkley in the last quarter. So, you know, their, their responsibilities of senior players, they're the, they're the two senior players or, or amongst a, a group of senior players that need to take control of the group. And when those um, instincts come up, those instances come up, they've got to actually nail those goals. And then, you know, the scoreboard pressure, they've got to make sure they maintain the scoreboard pressure. And I think what we'll see over the next few rounds is, I think we've seen it in this round that the, the first round, there was a lot of momentum swings. Uh, this round, there wasn't so many. And I think that is going to taper out as we go through. But as a, if you're a Bulldog supporter, um, I wouldn't be too concerned about the Bulldogs. I think they've got the makeup to make their way within that middle range of the table. John, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, I agree. I've got a question for you. 
Marcus Bontempelli looks sore, just looks impacted a little bit. Paddy Cripps last year looked where he was massively impacted with that back injury. And we started saying, oh, can he ever get back to that? We now see a fresh Paddy Cripps, an incredible Paddy Cripps. Do you take the risk if you're Luke Beveridge and say, right, I need to back the rest of my team, but I'm leaving Marcus Bontempelli out for the next two weeks and I'm getting him fresh and flying? I think that's exactly what they need to do, Lingy. They need to do that. They need to make a call whether he's 100% fit um, or or no one's ever 100% fit. You may be 100% fit when you go into round one. But I think what I think is that, yes, they need to actually make sure that he is right come the middle part of the season, the back end of the season. This part of the first part of the season is so important. Let someone else take that role. See if you've got another player within the group or within the team that you've got there at the moment to take that leadership role, whether it's a Trelaw, whether it's a Dunkley Irvin Daniels. Uh, we know English uh, has stood up. He's really come along as a ruckman, you know, 24 possessions on the weekend. And I think he may have had a couple of shots on goal at the same time. But I think he needs to hand that responsibility over somebody. But Bevo needs to see where his own group's at. Is there someone that's going to lift at the right time in the right moment of the game, as we've seen Bontempelli do over the last three to four years? I couldn't agree more with you, Lingy. Have him a spell, get him right, but you can see how good it is to see Paddy Cripps running around 100% fit. And you can see it. You can see he's running up. He's on top of the grass. And, you know, some of the things that he was doing last year and the year before, he looked slow and he looked he struggled. We've heard Lee Matthews comment about him quite a bit. But this year, the two games that I've seen, with the rest and being fit, he looks fantastic. And he's got support, hasn't he? Walsh coming back in was huge for Carlton, but Hewis playing a big role for them as well in that midfield. And, and Chera didn't play, but he did very well in the first round for the Blues. So they look like they've got more depth in the midfield now. My love across the weekend was seeing Charlie Curnow fit and firing again and kicking five goals. He's played, what, 14, 15 games across the course of the last two seasons, only four last year. And we'd seen some serious glimpses of his immense talent. He looked like he could tear the competition apart. He kicked seven against the Western Bulldogs in a a losing side not long before he was injured back in in 2020. Um, He's a freakishly talented player and he's only 25. So if he can stay fit, you have him with Harry Mackay. It's got a Franklin Roughhead sort of feel about it in that forward line for Carlson. So I think that's very exciting. Lingy, I could see your frustration building across the course of the day at the MCG as GWS really failed to deliver and, and missed a massive opportunity against Richmond at the G's today. They'd never beaten them there in six previous attempts and, and Richmond with star players out. Flostone, Lambert, Martin, Rewalt, the list goes on. Lambert not there as well. Give me a best on GWS and what you saw today. Well, I saw a team really badly outworked, a more committed team to get across to the next contest, to transition defensively and offensively. Um, And this is a Richmond team that hasn't got all its star players, but they were committed to a way of playing, a system of playing and working for each other. I saw a Giants team just going out there, playing as a group of individuals who wanted to get some possessions, wanted to get some nice ball when the time was right a bit of an opportunity to go forward. I saw forwards flying against each other, zero isolation. I saw broken tackles, really bad broken tackles from the Giants where Richmond, uh, crucial ones, where Richmond players were able to just brush through them, ended up in goals. It was a bad performance by the GWS Giants today. 
They, if they want to be really taken seriously, and I mean absolute 100% respect across the competition, you come down to Melbourne, you play a weakened Richmond who battled a bit last week and lost four of their very best players, you just go bang and you put Richmond away and you play a real, really complete performance. It was so far from it. Oh, I, I get so frustrated with them because their, their best can be very good. We saw it in the back half of last year. But then they deliver something like that and all my predictions or thoughts or warm, fuzzy feelings towards Giants just evaporate because they play that sort of rubbish football. At one stage, Al, you and I were both there. I think a Giants player had the ball, let's call it uh, half-back, slightly closer to the boundary than half-back. And I reckon there were nine guys queuing up for the lateral kick or the backwards kick. And it was either, well, we kick it back to you, then we all get a possession. Yeah, great. Hey, tick the stats sheet again. Or we try and go forward with it and long kick down the line. And Richmond, of course, were just going to outnumber there. There was no... I'm going to get the ball in a dangerous part of the ground. I'm going to impact this game. It was a lot of, I'm going to get a kick and just add one more to my stat sheet. Uh, they, were, they were poor. They were very, very poor today. Um, and credit to Richmond. They played as a really united team who played with a system and a commitment to each other that made it a really important win, an undermanned, fantastic win. You could really see... Uh the disappointment on Leon Cameron's face every time the camera cut to him. He was a man who said, this isn't happening again. He's seen it far too many times and, and credit to him the way he's been able to get that team playing really good football and turn them around and make them play like a team. But they do seem to fall back into their, their bad habits really easily. And another thing I noticed that was a little taken by, and he's been working with the group, it's well documented, is the presence of James Hurd in the coach's box. So maybe it's fanciful to think it, but could you ever see him returning to senior coaching, even at the expense of a Leon Cameron, if GWS have a period where they're not performing. Ooh, Al's, Al's dropping uh, little hand grenades on us here, Jono. This is, um, <laughs> just, uh, just throwing it out there, see what you think. I've seen, from all reports, James Hurd's having a really um, good impact and, and really committed. And um, is it, it's not just a token role that he's got. He's up there a lot. Then if he can't get up there, it's via Zoom really connecting with that leadership group. I don't know. I don't know. That's, it's, it's a good question. I mean, it would be a huge marketing thing to um, have him coaching at the Giants, which I know part of that is cutting into the Giant, um, to that market, the Sydney market up there. Jono, could you see him coaching? I don't know. Well, it's, has enough time gone by where the AFL as an entire industry says, yep, he did some things wrong. He got he, he made some massive mistakes. He's learned from it. He deserves another chance. Are we at that point yet? I'm not too sure whether we're at that point yet. Um, I think at the moment, he's. it's good to see him back in the game. It's good to see the games welcome him back. Um, I, I hear good reports as well that he is... It's not a tokenistic role up there. He's actually getting in there and getting some work done. Uh, with that leadership group, so that's that's a massive positive. That's a that's a step forward. I think it may be a little bit quick if if there was something to happen, and we don't want to see things happen to to coaches. But if it was to happen, you would probably consider, and his name would start to come and come to the forefront, uh, whether he's ready or not. On the other hand, going back to the Giants, I just um, I've seen part of the game today, uh, not all of it, but majority of the game today against uh, Richmond. And I watched last week against the Swans. It was too far between for me. 
last week the Swans, I thought they were really, really, really competitive and working together as a unit. And I reckon today, as you said, Lingy, you've pointed out a couple of times already, a lot of worrying about me. Am I going to get a run next week? Am I going to be in the uh, the, 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 20, the 22 next week? So I reckon there's a lot of ha- that happening at the Giants. But certainly that is a big bomb there that you're bringing up there, Al, in around James Hurd. Um, you know, I think I like he's got the capabilities. Out. He's got the capabilities of coaching. We know that. But um, are, are the, are the, is the, or is the football world ready for James Hurd to take the helm? That'll be the big question. I'd just like to throw a few things out there just to see whether you guys are nibbling from time to time, to see what you want to say about certain issues. I've got something to say, something that really frustrated me. It happened across the course of the, the first couple of rounds. We saw it with Nasiah Wanganine Miller in round one. He has played for St Kilda this weekend, so he got his chance to debut. But what a beautiful scene it was at Marvel Stadium on the weekend with Gavin Wanganine there to present the jumper to his son, and he's going to make his debut against Brisbane Tex, but he's going to be the Medi-Sub. He does not get on the ground. It counts as a game. It frustrates me so much. I understand clubs need to pick the personnel that they want to play specific roles, but, gee, I just thought that was such a flat moment. It really destroyed the debut of a kid that we all wanted to see for that, that lovely romantic element that football brings. Gavin Wanganine's son playing footy, and, he, and the only story he's got to tell is that he got a sore backside all afternoon. <laughs> Oh, good call, Al. Great call. I'm with you on this one all the way. Like I tell my kids, it's one of the few stories I tell about my footy days with my boys. Um, my first game, I, I, I tell about the fact it was a draw. It was over in at old footy park against Port Adelaide. I had fans hanging over the fence, abusing the hell out of me. Um, I, I got caught holding the ball, but I kicked a goal. All these moments. I, I, I love telling that story because that was my dream come true. I don't like the idea that these kids now are making their debut, Jono. When they're older and they've got their kids or they're sitting around with their mates, oh, hey, tell us about your first game. Tell us about your first game. Um, I sat on the bench and I didn't get on the entire game. That's not a great memory for them. I know they've played one game, it's beautiful, but just just play them. Maybe just work it out where their first game is the game where you're totally committed to them being in the best 22. Otherwise, don't pick them yet. Is that fair? That's fair, Lingy. I think the AFL need to step in here and make some sort of uh, a comment or or put something in place that if you're making your debut, you cannot be a medical sub because, you know, it's a game that he goes next to his name and that he hasn't even st- stood on the field and actually gone in the heat of battle. Now, you're looking at a guy and talking to a guy here that sits in at 299 with all my games combined. So if that sub was in at some stage, I probably would have got into that 300 club. But... But yeah, I never right. would have had you as the sub, Jono. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right, Lingy, and 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 now I think you're on the money here. That needs to be something put in place that a first gamer, someone to make their debut. It's really a cop out, really, for for the clubs. I think, um, the, and they'll come back and they say, "Oh, we're easing him into it. Oh, we thought it'd be the." But you just don't know whether he's going to get on the ground. Like I don't know what the stats of whether a medical stat, uh, medical sub has gotten on the ground in terms of over the over the over the time it's been in place, but. I think it's just for the family, everybody there. So that means the whole thing, if he gets named in the 22 this week, really, that's his first game. Yeah, that's correct. his first game in the 22. Not as a medical sub. You cannot do that. So I agree with both of you. And uh, it would have been great. Um, I was there on the game uh, next to you, Al, as well, watching that. And it would have been fantastic. The whole sort of presentation with Gav and everyone there 
Um, it was fantastic. But all all text done all day was just eat uh, snakes alive, pretty much on the bench. <laughs> uh, I felt for West Coast. I really felt for West Coast this weekend. You mentioned it earlier, Lingy. Fourteen changes. Jack Nelson, Jackson Nelson, went out as a late withdrawal just to completely um, decimate the team and. Yes, the match went ahead against North Melbourne. I thought they were brave to only lose that match by 15 points, albeit North Melbourne's in very much still a developmental phase itself. But you've got players out of the waffle, top-up players. Guernsey's being handed out left, right and centre. So I think that was really admirable for West Coast. But a lot of talk around the legitimacy of that game and, and the compromising of the competition based on a team being so heavily decimated yet forced to play a game. Where do you stand on that one, Lingy? Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit, there's got to be a tipping point, Al. I, I think once you get to a certain point where 14 changes, remember going back a few years ago, I think Ross Lyon going into the last round of the year made 13 or 14 changes. Well, it was up in arms and it probably created the post home and away season buy because it affected the integrity of the competition. Now we've got 14 changes in a round two game, but it's fine. Just, just go ahead because we have to go ahead. I don't fully know what the answer is, so I'm not offering a lot of solutions here. But I just think when you're forced to make 14 changes, there is that's a tipping point. If you've got four guys out, five guys out, Richmond played today without Prestia, Martin, Rewalt, um, and also Dylan Grimes. Well, roll with it. Deal with it. That's, that's a normal, just unlucky run of injuries. But 14, that, it just feels like it feels like too many to me, Jono. Yeah, no, you're right, Lee. And, and I, I can remember that whole conversation uh, in around that bye weekend coming in, leading into the grand final. Reschedule it. Why can't you reschedule it? Are we rescheduling AFLW at the moment, Lee, for finals? I think we are. I think we've only got round nine uh, announced on venues and everything else. I think the AFL need to actually look at of actually having something in between the season, um, between round nine and the end of the season for these circumstances. Because um, it's certainly uh, a situation where, look, unfortunately, you know, you've got to get a coach there in Adam Simpson. He's got to go and coach this with the rest of his coaches. And the other thing too, it's not unfair for the players that are, that should be there, um, the players that have been there and that aren't getting, who haven't had COVID. I think it's unfair for them because they've got to back up and play next to these other guys that are potentially not up to that level. And it's almost, a, a, you've got to look at it, it's a self and a, uh, safe and uh, healthy risk sort of area. So you've got to really look at the rescheduling of the whole round 10 to round 23 in case this brews its head again. Can I, can I be a bit of a conspiracy theorist here, Al? Did the, AFL, did the AFL see this coming? The scheduling of the West Coast Eagles... Um, and the Perth teams and the fact that WA has been closed down, but now they're copying the, uh, I hesitate to say their first wave, but their sort of first big impact of COVID. Um, they scheduled them to play the Gold Coast Suns in North Melbourne, who were, by most tipsters, finishing down the bottom of the ladder. So even with 14 outs, you still get a competitive game of football. And they could point to it and say, well, it was only 15 points. So what's everybody carrying on about? <laughs> Did that, are they that brilliant? Did they know that this was going to happen? Lee, you know what I think you've just done? You've created a new segment 
on the Alan Lingy show and it's called <laughs> Lingy's Conspiracies. Every week you can bring a new conspiracy to the table. Oh, I do wonder though what the reaction would have been had Melbourne, the defending premiers, been through something similar. I think there's a general consensus that West Coast probably with where their list is at isn't going to be contending for a premiership this year, but there would have been serious outcry. And I know there was outcry in the West, but the Eagles are not to blame for the stance that the West Australian government took in relation to COVID. And of course, COVID is now in Western Australia in ever-increasing numbers. And there are a lot of young dads in that team. I think they've paid a really heavy price and, and were no chance to win that game. Um, so I think that's a really unfortunate set of circumstances they've had to deal with. No easy fix. And the AFL made it very clear to all the teams that this would be the case. This is what was going to happen and the competition would carry on and there are broadcast agreements in place. Gee, I feel for the West Coast. Ghost Eagles on the weekend. I thought that was a really tough thing for them to go through. Jono, absolutely brilliant having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us, getting your insights, mate. Pleasure to be here, boys. Good on you. And Lingy, as always, great chatting footy with you. We had a good weekend, mates. Um, you just settled down. Now, last week you wanted at least half the show dedicated to Geelong. Didn't really touch on Geelong too much. We were very <laughs> kind to you this week. Now, didn't you want my my boys, Max and Henry, and I'll even get little Jetty here as well. They can come down and fill you in about some of the things they were saying to me on Friday night. Uh, I'm not sure it's, we'd have to put the little E, the explicit language. Uh, these oh. boys learnt, they learnt words on Friday night that they should not know at the age that they are. Um, now, I'm, I'm happy to gloss over the Cats' performance this week, but um, it's been great chatting again, Al. Thank you, Jono, as well, for your input. Um, been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. The action starts again round three on Thursday night at Marvel Stadium. The Western Bulldogs in Sydney is going to be a huge clash and that's into Melbourne and Essendon at the MCG on Friday night. Of course, we'll see all the key action live and free on seven. Thanks for joining us for the Alan Lingy podcast. We'll be back next week to wrap up round three. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 